0: Is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me.
1: Beginning of the month, first Sunday of the month, and because of that, you'll see we have four glowing tables in the corners. Uh, those are for ambiance, but also because there's something on them. This is Communion Sunday. And uh, we're excited about this. I love Communion Sunday because it's one, I think, one of the most powerful and reflective days. gets things out of the normal routine. This week, uh, we went to a leadership conference as a staff and took a bunch of leaders with us. It was really, really cool. Um, because as we approached communion, I, I was reminded of something that I think is really important. You see, when when I was growing up and just, you know, with I think each of us, when you grow up in church, it's easy to find yourself in a place where at times your faith feels a bit fragile. Like, I, I feel like in the modern church, you know, there's, there's so many people coming at christians and and a lot of times in our modern generation it's as if like god exists if i believe in him and if if i don't feel like he showed up and i don't believe then he's not there and it's as simple as an idea it's as simple as whether it's convenient for me in the moment or not but what i love about our faith is that it is not a fragile faith We do not have a fragile foundation for what we believe where we have to defend all these things. Because in reality, the truth is that the foundation of our faith is on a historical event in a man named Jesus that is founded in history. you know anyone else and everyone else has to figure out what to do with because there was a real man who came to earth predicted his death and resurrection and then there were hundreds of eyewitnesses that actually saw him after his death came back and then letters were written and people realized this is not just a cool idea this actually happened history changed the roman empire tried to they found it very inconvenient and they tried to destroy it and then ended up being converted by it it has changed the course of history forever we stand in a building like this not because a group of people suddenly decided to get together and to say we need something to believe in let's make this up it came as a result of a historical event where god came to earth in the form of jesus died on a cross, rose from the grave, and history proves and shows that this man existed. And when we stand here today, what we do when we take these elements, when you take the bread that represents God's or Jesus' body, and you take the cup that represents Jesus' blood that was spilt, what you are doing is remembering that each of us come here and we are accepted and we are received, not because we're good and perfect people. Thank God because I'm at the bottom of that list. I'm at the bottom of that list. But because we are loved, because of the grace of God, we are accepted, we are brought in today. Here's the good news, y'all. You don't have to be good enough for Jesus to accept you. You don't have to have your life all together. We just have to receive the gift of grace offered by our King. And you have a historical event to look at to recognize that this took place, this isn't a cool idea, this isn't based out of a feeling or out of an emotion that you have because you're in need, you happen to be in need this Sunday. This comes as a result of humans encountering Jesus and 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. We still find hope in it. What What this moment represents is a remembrance of what has happened in order to be reminded of what is yet to come. Your best day is yet to come. The goodness that God has for you is not as a result of your goodness, but of his. How beautiful is that? That I don't have to be good enough, because I don't know about you, but I've tried, and I have failed miserably to being good enough on my own. Maybe some of you are still trying. Good luck. Come and find me when you're done, because this is going to be a whole lot more of an interesting conversation. But in this moment, can I encourage you, if you have made Jesus your Lord and Savior, find one of the four tables in the corner. Take the elements. Come back to your seat and spend some time worshiping, truly worship. There's such a stigma with worship in these days that, oh, I have to raise my hands or I have to close my eyes or I have to sing or that's not my thing because I'm not a singer. Guys, it's not about us at all. Worship And the act of singing, the act of participating in this is an act of submission. It is an act of surrender that says you are worthy. And I will give you the praise that you deserve. And let us spend time and just thank him for what he's doing and what he has already done in each of our lives. We have good news to offer this morning, y'all. Good news. Let me pray over you. Father, I thank you so much that you sent your son because I couldn't be good enough. I thank you that you sent your son so that we don't have to be. I thank you that you sent your son so that we could take time to remember what you have saved us from and what you are saving us to, that there is good to come, that each of our lives, the best is yet to come, that you desire for, to fulfill us, to bring joy and hope and life to each of us, to our marriages, to our relationships, to our futures today. Father, I pray that if there is anything in the way that we would take this time to just offer it back to you, to reinstate right relationship with you, and that we would find ourselves in awe of this moment in history, that we'd recognize We don't come to church because it's convenient and because it, you know, we feel like it. We come to church because we realize we are the church as a result of what you've already done through your son. Let it change our hearts. Let it change our worship. Let Let it transform us from the inside out. Thank you that you are faithful. Be with us, Lord, as we remember you and what you've done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Continue our worship together.
0: I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemy. I raise a hallelujah
2: A little louder.
0: They sing a little louder.
3: Unrestrained It's anxious, it's not the restless kind, your love's not passing, it's never disengaged, it's always present, it hangs on every word, love keeps its promises.
4: church already please be seated welcome uh, to journey this morning my name is Dave uh, I'm the other half of Dave and Shelley uh, the shorter half or the lesser half actually not she's kind of a mini anyway welcome first off what a great Sunday uh, you chose to be here both communion and just the the weather finally maybe a break right not 50 knot winds anyway. I get to share a little bit of a story this morning, a brief one, about a lie. About 22 years ago, a lie, be a little hard for me to get through because it's that personal to me. It affected me that much. And it started a relationship to change my life. We moved down here, much like Abram and Sarah, Moved to the middle of nowhere. I didn't even know where Lancaster was. I went out of northern Nevada. Took a job, relocating, find a place. After about three weeks of going stir crazy in the new job and the new place and not knowing anybody, went to a ball field. My wife's like kicking me out of the house, like, go play ball. I was a ball player. Go play. Get out. Please get out. I'm standing around looking for that look of teams that, that are looking in the parking lot for players that, that aren't showing up, that need an extra player. And I see a guy looks at me, and I look at him, and he kind of gives me the 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 look, you know, yeah, we need somebody. Yeah, okay, i can play. Well, you know, what do you need me to play? Whatever we play. Game comes and goes. And he invites me to play next week. Say, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was a good bunch of guys. You know, it was fun. Get out and knock the ball around. Something to do. He says, But there's a catch. You know, here's the hook. You know, we're a church team. So you got to go to church play on our team. (laughs) On the first hand, or on the short end of it, I'm going, What kind of, you know, junk is that? Number one. Got to, you got to go to church to play on your team. Well, then I won't play on your team. I'm a pretty good ball player. At least I was then. The older I get, the better I was, right? <laughs> oh, I'm not alone that way. All right, yeah, there you go. And so I said, okay, fine. You know, the wife and I had already been there in, in our previous state, had started kind of eking our way back into church. But we, we hadn't really committed our lives Uh, to Jesus certainly not where we are today and so that lie has resulted in a 22 year friendship that around next Tuesday or I should say this coming Tuesday is almost like that 22 year anniversary of that night so a couple weeks ago I, I, I grabbed Sarah and I said hey you know, this is really personal and I want to do the giving announcement because it is that personal to me, because that date's coming up. And I don't think I've ever really said thank you. And so what has that got to do with our tithe and our offering that morning, uh, you know, this morning well, I think it has to do everything with that maybe it's not your story but it's the same story for you wherever you're at whatever your story is that at some point somebody may not have lied to you but they told you about somebody that was a world changer they told you about somebody that could help you feel different could help you do different, could help you think different, could rewire your yesterday and make your tomorrow unbelievable. And I've never said thank you in the right way. I have in many ways, but I haven't said it like this say thank you, Mike. Thank you for lying to me thank you for being my best friend and thank you for bringing me into a point at a place that I would allow Jesus to remap my future that changed the course of my life in ways that I could never make up you couldn't lie your best way into it Mike's not a liar but he knew He had an eye. He had a heart to see me for who I could be, not who I was as a ball player. And God had a way of putting us together, crashing us in a way that could only happen for he and I that night at that time to reshape my life, my family's life that's taken us around the world in serving Christ and bringing a message of hope that's here today. It's for everybody. So that's why I think it has to do for you this morning. As the come, there's many ways to give. There's a hundred ways to serve journey as well. So give your time, give your talents like the worship teams do. They, they bless us every week, man. Y'all have no idea. Maybe you do have an idea. They, they rock in our staff. So as you find your way to give, continue in this attitude of gratitude and give back to God what's already his to begin with. And just love him a little bit more this morning. And maybe say thank you to him in a way you never had before. Like, like I'm trying to do for my best friend. So I don't apologize for my tears because it's that personal. And I ain't scared of that. I'm on the camera usually, so I can't see the you know, front of your heads from back there. I can't hardly see it out anyway. But But thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for my best friend Mike and his family that changed our lives through our Savior. And in your giving this morning, just say thank you back as we pray. Father, thank you that you are the changer of heaven and earth, that you said no more to the old way, and you provided a new way, the only way, the ultimate way of freedom and life everlasting through your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for speaking to my best friend Mike. I said, that guy needs to know my son. Go tell him a lie this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can give back to you that thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. And his church said, Amen. Come on, Press, Anna, come on. Give us our announcement, please.
5: Oh, that was amazing. Good morning, Journey Church. How are we doing this morning? Woo! Hello to those online. Thank you guys for watching. My name is Presley. And I'm Emma. And we have your Sunday morning announcements this morning. Um, first of all, if you are new to Journey Church, if this is your first time, come on, come on up here. I'm just kidding. Don't come up here. So you knew people were like, no. Come on. I'm not. I'm never coming back. No, but we do have a gift for you guys outside out at the hot spot. So after service this morning, we would love for you guys to receive your free gift. It's from us to you for coming
6: here this morning. And if you've got a little one, a fussy baby, or you just really wanna go sit on a big, big fat comfy couch, go over to the cry room. It's in the corner um, and it's back in the left and you can hear and see the message still. And um, it's got the best seat in the house.
5: She knows, she's back there a lot with her All little baby. So yeah, put in some nice comfy seats. Put in People, some you you can't see in, but you can see out. So that's perfect, right? Yep. So first announcement up, we have the Barbarian fundraiser circle right after church this morning. We are raising money for man camp. Who's stoked for man camp? Yeah, I don't know what happens at man camp. I don't know if you guys like chop down trees. We don't know. We don't know what it is. Saw some logs, saw some logs you know, cook a deer, I don't know what Bad you guys rails. do, but we are raising money for it right for search. It's $8 a plate, so you can just head on out there right after and, you know, get some vittles.
6: And then right now, we are gearing up to get ready for Easter service, um, Easter Sunday. This Tuesday, we have some major spring cleaning to do, pulling weeds, making this place look right, make it look tight. If you guys um, have ever had guests over, company over at your house, you know that there's no motivation to clean your house, like uh, new people coming over, and you just want to look good. So help us do that. Um, put on your work clothes. Maybe you'll paint. Maybe you'll dig. Uh, maybe you'll just hang out with us. I don't know, but I'll be here uh, Tuesday, and that is from 5 to 8, and we'll feed you. Right, right. I,
5: I said this in first service. We're always praying for God. like. God, I want to serve you. How can I serve you? And then, you know, you come to church and they're like, hey, we need help cleaning up the church. And you're like, that's not for me. I'll come next time. Yeah. And I'm going to do something else. Amen. We always do that. I am so guilty. I'm like, no. But you know what? Kindness is love with his work boots on. And we're going to get it on Tuesday. Amen. Don't need to look fancy. Just make it look great. Right. Right. Put a ponytail and we're going to do it. Um, So, uh, coming into that, so Easter Sunday is coming up, y'all. We are so excited about it. This is such a cool time for the church. If you don't know, it's Sunday, April 21st. We will be having two services that Sunday, the 9 a.m. and the 10.30 service. We would love for you guys to come. We actually have invitations outside at the hotspot right when you walk out to your right. Um, Invite your neighbors, invite your friends, even if you're like, they're not really church people, it's okay. Yeah. We get a little weird, but not super weird. It's gonna be yeah. really fun that day. So we would Take love a for you guys to come. Take a church
6: business card, yes. a swag bag.
5: Yes, the swag bag, church business card. Go to it's church. gonna be great.
6: Yeah. And then um, after that, following, it's May 4th and it's at 11 a.m., we have the women's tea. Um, it's the ladies' tea, ladies, women, whatever. Ladies' um, tea. Yeah, and so we've got that. The tickets are $10 and they're out at the hotspot. This is our second year doing it. And um, yeah, it'll be great. Just come and have fellowship time and sip some tea like a fancy little lady. That's right.
5: That's all we have for you guys today, this morning, you guys. Take a second and say howdy to the person next to you.
7: yourself somewhere for the next little bit we're gonna be uh, walking quickly through John chapter 1 hey but uh, before we do if you're in 5th and 6th grade you can head on out to fifth and sixth grade class your team is waiting for you man I love our volunteers I just Dave as you're talking up here I'm just getting all choked up with you and uh, about your friend the liar Mike and uh, just <laughs> seriously the, what the, the way God works in our lives it's it's amazing and I love our volunteers um, this past week, we had an opportunity to go. Took um, some of our leader team to a conference down in Orange County, and not only does it, it's a conference for the whole West Coast, um, it's called Catalyst. Anyway, this uh, this event serves church leaders, pastors, church workers, and all that kind of thing. And our church, um, though we're not one of the largest churches in California, we had the largest group of servants. Of anyone and uh, our team literally our students went and served some of our adults went and served and I just gotta say how proud I am giving you know some of these exhausted and tired and you know terrified church leaders a chance to just relax and enjoy and learn and grow and I'm just proud of our team I I just love how our team just kind of gets involved and I'm looking forward to that on Tuesday night all of you so anyway This is a season. Isn't it like spring has sprung? Isn't it awesome? Everywhere you drive, like flowers bursting out on the hills. I've never seen it glow like this. And it is so fun. But that means that just two weeks from now, Easter. And that means just after that, Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is followed by graduation and Father's Day and then summertime. I mean, it is absolutely hitting, you know, pedal to the metal. This is the season where everything just kind of accelerates. Sorry, teachers, you know, to remind you of all that you have to do yet and all you students, but it is coming quickly. I mean, life just seems to go faster and faster. I was talking to somebody last week, and they're like, what is it with our age? I mean, the, every year it seems to go faster and faster, and it does. And it just seems sometimes like, man, I haven't got ready for, you know, I haven't even prepared for this year's taxes, and it's tax time. I haven't got ready for any, you know, there's some things you just wait for, but there are things that just kind of come and get you. This past week as we're at this conference, um, it reminded me of how things just kind of go, and I feel sometimes out of control. Sometimes I feel like, I I don't know, a little behind. Sometimes I feel like a little less than that. This conference is at this church called Mariners. and If you've never been down to Irvine area, well, um, they're very, very well provided for, let's say. And this space is one of the coolest spaces. It's Disneyland for church people. It really is. I mean, they've got six gazillion dollars invested in their campus, I'm convinced, because they got a $30 million children's room and a $20 million student room, and they've got their auditorium with, you know, more more money in their lighting budget than we have for 10 years as a whole church. I mean, it is unbelievable, and we're walking around. they got waterfalls and a lake and a chapel, and as we're Going through all this, I mean, I'm just enjoying the beauty of it. And at the same time, I'm thinking, this is great for you. I'm so glad that you have more flowers in your just front porch than we have in the whole Antelope Valley. It must be nice to have an extra billion dollars to just put on the ground. I mean, I'm just walking around, and honestly, I'm so delighted. I love beautiful spaces. But at the same time, it's like... What's wrong with me? You know, what? what, we we got weeds. I mean, they're different colors now. I mean, but I kind of, you know, ever feel like you're a little bit behind where you want to be? Or like maybe you're not achieving quite what you would like to be? Or or maybe just kind of the whole idea of looking out there or there or there, and you just kind of feel a little bit less than? Well, this study today, we're going to be breaking down, continuing in our series, Healthy Me, um, kind of based on the book The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Pete Scazzaro and as we break this down today just a, a reminder man, as, as you're going through this I hope you're reading I hope you're getting you know, some time to do this on your own because we can only scratch the surface in our time together on Sundays but the transformation that I hope for you that I want for you I'm praying for you it's something that takes time and it's deep and it works down below the surface and so You're going to need to devote some focus to that. So we're going to take you through a little bit of conversation today, but then I hope you'll go back and really think about some of these concepts. And what I want to do is I want to start about why it is that some of us have that nagging sense of being overwhelmed, excuse me, or behind, or we just feel like life isn't quite working for us like it is for somebody else. And we've got to have to embrace our limits and our losses. What we're going to do is we're going to pick up in john chapter one there's a guy named john who's the baptizer so he got the name nickname john the baptist because he dunked people and this is what he's find we find about him in john chapter 1 verse 19 this was john's testimony in other words this was john's story when the jewish leaders in jerusalem sent priests and levites to ask him who he was now just if you're new to this story what we find is the priests and Levites were kind of like the religious police of the first century. And they're making sure everybody's doing everything right in the Jewish religious world. And there's this guy, this upstart, this young, young buck that all of a sudden has got tons and tons and tons of people leaving the cities and going out into the wildest, the craziest wilderness places of the Antelope Valley. Like They're going out into the literally the wilderness, the desert places, And are being taught by and then dunked by John, the Baptist. And what we find is that they're kind of like, well, who is this guy? And how does he have the authority to lead all these tens of thousands of people who gave him the right, who gave them the permission, who gave him the card, you know, that says that he has the right to lead? So they send a group of guys out to find this shaggy-haired. I mean, he's a hipster, right? His hair's everywhere. He eats, you know, he's very vegan, honey and locusts. No, he's not vegan. He ate a bug, so that's not vegan. He's he's kind of doing things different from everybody else, and people are flocking by the thousands to see him. So they come to grill John, and apparently um, they start asking him some questions, and his response is this. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. So in other words, the first question apparently was, are you the Messiah? Are you the promised king that has been prophesied about for hundreds and hundreds of years that's going to come and deliver us and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? Are you him? And he says, nope, not me. So then they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Elijah. Because the prophecy in the Old Testament, the book of Micah was that before the kingdom of heaven broke into the earth, before the reign of God began in the world, that the prophet Elijah would return and announce the kingdom. So they're saying, are you him? And once again, he said, I am not. So they asked him, well, are you the prophet? Because way back in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. There was another prophecy that before the coming age of the reign of God, that there would be a prophet who would rise up and call God's people back to himself. So they're asking, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So finally they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to go to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And that is a probing question. What can you say about yourself? Who are you? And John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, and this next quote is from Isaiah chapter 40, he said, I'm the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. John said, I'm the guy that Isaiah, the only job I have, this is who I am, I'm the pavement crew. I'm here to clear, I pay, I'm here to get everything out of the way of this guy so he doesn't have to worry. I've already prepared the soil. I've already prepared the people. I've already gathered the crowds. I've already got everybody's attention. I've got them listening. I'm making a pathway for the coming Messiah. That's who I am. I'm the messenger. Skip down to verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? This is the one I meant when I said, A man who is coming after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Down to verse 34. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So, what's John doing here? He's doing his job, right? He's getting Israel ready for the Messiah, for the coming age. He's basically saying, Jesus is that Messiah. Then watch, look what happens next, verse 35. Then the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, so John was a prophet, right? And that was common in in Israel. They had had lots of prophets before, but they had had a very long silence of about 400 years where they had not had a prophet on the scene to speak on behalf of God. And the people were all waiting with anticipation and bated breath for God's next messenger to come and give them the words of God. So John steps on the scene and he's Prophesy, in other words, he's foretelling the things that God is doing, saying the things that God wants them to know. And he's also a rabbi. In other words, he's a teacher. He's gathered some people around him since he had thousands, tens of thousands, said all of Jerusalem and Judea, all of Israel was going out to him. So this was literally thousands, tens of thousands of people were going to him. So he had his own little group of people that he was pouring his life into. They were his disciples, his apprentices. And he was leading them and explaining to them what was coming. All right? So now he's got his two disciples. Two of those people are with him on this event. So the next day, two of them were with him. When he saw Jesus passing by, he, John, said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. That can be translated, they became Jesus' disciples. So basically, two of John's disciples... Abandon john when they see jesus and it's kind of like the church that you work for all your life build and serve and get you know you finally get it to a healthy place and then somebody comes along down the road and all the people go to them that's what it felt like it's like wait my staff just left me to go to that cooler place that i wonder if what it felt like right they became jesus disciples think about it i wonder what it would have been like for john emotionally mentally To see the people that he had gathered there. I mean, this had never happened before. And this was like so cruel. uh, I mean, cool and incredible to see this. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of evaporates. Right? Then we find in chapter 3. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside. Where he spent some time with them. And baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at Aon, near Salim. Salim. And because there was plenty of water, and that's important when you're in the desert, right? There's plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. And then there's a little spoiler alert for what comes later in the story. This was before John was put in prison. So an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look. He is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. Hey, don't look now, John, but everybody's slipping away from you, and they're going to the new guy. You know this big thing that you built out here? Well, look, um, it's it's all disappearing right before your eyes. Everyone is following him. Crowd after crowd, person after person, thousands upon thousands, turning now and walking away. We find John's response in verse twenty-seven. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. I mean, this is stunning. His self-understanding, his composure. We're going to come back to this. You yourselves can testify that I said, I already told you this, I'm not the Messiah. That's what I've been saying all along. But I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. In other words, these people... They're not my people, right? They don't belong to me. They belong to the bridegroom, Jesus. And the friend who attends to the bridegroom, John, is saying, me, I'm the the friend, I'm the best man. He waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is complete now. He must become greater and I must become what? less have you ever been in a position where you felt you were greater by being lesser have you ever felt like your your life was enhanced by being removed from a position of greatness to a position of nothingness let's recap real quick john the baptizer is the hot show in town edgy sharp unique i mean he is lever. He's out in the desert. People are coming to him from all over Israel, and this is his job, to preach to these people, to repent. That means to turn from the ways they're living back to the ways of God, right? And then the Messiah, Jesus, comes, and John is essentially out of a job overnight. And it seems to me, as we read this, he's not bitter. He's not stressed. He's not angry. He's not insecure, jealous. He's not preoccupied with, what did I do wrong? He's not depressed. I mean, he simply says, hey, a person can receive only what they're given from heaven. And I put this verse to memory recently because I'm reading this. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so rich. A person can only receive, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. And I just love that. In fact, this was the release of joy you are looking for joy in your life and i'm not talking about happiness it comes when you get paid and it's gone by the time the end of the month we, you know rolls around it's like i'm not happy anymore i'm you know life is terrible well when things are good you're happy i'm not talking about that i'm talking about when your crowd walks out on you and your income and your what you've been putting your life into kind of goes away that you still find joy in the fact that God has a plan and you are still part of his plan even though the moment of spotlight may have changed even though your position may have shifted even though who you are to the people you thought were your friends may have declined so what about you I mean John was able to celebrate the fact that Jesus was more successful than he was can you can I I mean, I mean can, can you really celebrate when other people are more successful than you? Because the reality, let's let's be real. The American ideal is that all people were created equal, right? Certain unalienable rights and all that, right? And before the Constitution and before our, you know, preamble and all that, there was this thing called the Scriptures. And all the way back in the very first page of the Scriptures, we find that God created man and woman in His image, In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them so that every single person on the earth, and I'm talking about human beings, not, you know, all the other creatures which were God-given creatures. He gave them life. He loves them. He delights in them. But only the humans were given his image, and he delighted in us enough that he gave us a stamp of himself to reflect him. We're all equal under God in our value, right? We're all valuable to God equally. However, we are not all equal in our talents or our giftings. Am I right? Have you to look anywhere but just right down the aisle to discover that? This cuts across the grain of self-esteem in our community, and our culture, and what we've taught. Because here's what we... I'm still old enough to remember that when I go to a track meet when I was a kid, if I didn't run the fastest... Only the first place got a trophy, and the second place got a trophy, and the third place maybe got a medal, or the first, or and it was just kind of, that's the way it went, and everybody else might have got a ribbon, or might have just gone home empty-handed. You didn't win, and it's very interesting, because nowadays, you go like, oh, you were at the game? Trophy! You placed, you wear the outfit, trophy! You, you, you showed up, Trophy! Everybody gets a trophy. I hear that there's one of the teachers will tell me how they do this thing in school nowadays where they have um, student of the week award. And they got the person, you know, they got their their name on the board or whatever. They have their little biography thing. They kind of celebrate them, a little party. And that the, the, the child is like, oh, I'm just student of the, I'm student of the week, you know, I'm so special. But the fact of the matter is, they planned that before the school year even started. You just get a week. Everybody gets a week. You're not special because you did anything. You're just special because you're you and because they have to celebrate everybody equally. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I'm a dad. Listen, I'm all for my kids feeling amazing about themselves. I'm all for, hey, I want to build their self-esteem and, let me, and all that. But here's the challenge. Problem is... These children, just like my children, eventually grow up. And when they grow up, they're going to go out into this real world that is actually merit-based. Right? There's no trophy for showing up to work. You showed up today. Trophy! Yeah, oh, you're, on, you're only two hours late. Oh, here, today, well, it's a ribbon. It's a ribbon. I mean, you, you, just think about this. There's no reward for just doing right in the normal way and so some people let's be honest some people are just better at stuff than other people are some people are smarter than other people some people are thinner than other people I watch what some people eat and it makes me sick not because it's terrible stuff it's because I can't eat it and look like they look right I'm thinking there's some people that are just more charismatic some people are more charming some people are more funny some people are better in crowds some people are better alone that's just the reality of our world and the way We are shaped. And Paul talks about this in his letter to the Roman church. He said this. We have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us. What he's saying is that all Jesus' followers, everybody who walks to the cross and surrenders themselves to the grace of God given through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, everybody who enters that life has God's grace. You all have that grace. That abiding sense of God's goodness and presence with you and leading. We all have that grace. But something else is implied here. Some have more grace than others. Some have different grace. And Jesus told a story about this. He was trying to illustrate how we are made uniquely. Every single one of us was made by God intentionally differently. Differently. And he said, this is what it was. A master was getting ready to go on a long journey. And so he got his servants together. And he said, hey, to the first one, he said, here is five talents I'm entrusting to you. He translated five bags of gold. And he said to another one, here's two talents I'm giving to you. And he said to the final one, here's one talent I'm giving you. And he went away on his journey. And it was gone for a long time. When he came back, he wanted to take an account for the talents he gave them. Now, let's be honest. Some people here are five-talent people. Good on you. We hate you. I mean, everything you touch turns to gold. Great. You drive the fancy car. You live in the great house. You wear the great clothes. And you eat pizza every meal. And you're just 100 pounds. I, Wonderful. But tr- truth be told, um, I don't feel fantastic all the time that you do so well and I don't about certain things. I don't feel so well that I'm walking onto a campus that literally spent $500 million. I'm just kidding. But whatever it was, and I'm like, yeah, um, can we just get 50 bucks extra for this? You know, I'm like, come on, where is this, this equity thing? Because we've been led to believe that it should all be equal. In our culture, there's a movement that everything should be equal. And I'm just telling you, that doesn't seem to be the way it was designed, on purpose. But there's, more, there's good to the story. It's not meant to be a hurtful thing. This is truthfully, like, we're happy for you. Because to be honest, there, there are some five-talent people out there. And I got to ex- be exposed to some of them. And I'm so grateful as I sit under some of these guys that, honestly, I'm just amazed at what they've been able to do with the season of life they've been given. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so good. That's so amazing. And you know what? Way to go, God. This is to your glory that you designed somebody that could such high capacity that could do such a thing. Way to go. But there's most of us are probably more like one-talent people or two-talent people, right? We got a couple things that we can just rock at, and there's a whole lot that we just don't. And so we look at that, and some of us, we could feel a little bit of pain or a little bit of anxiety, maybe just a little insecurity about that because we live in a digital age. Don't mean to be, you know, hypercritical of social media, but I'm going to. Social media throws gasoline on all our insecurities, Right? Because think about what it does. Um, and again, this is, there are several things that come together to form a perfect storm that kind of whittles away at your confidence and mine. First of all, there's unrealistic expectations. Because we're set out to believe that you can be anything. You can be the president. Right. You can be a space captain. You know, you can be an astronaut. Sure. You can accomplish anything you want. And so you set out thinking, man, I have these dreams. I have these financial goals, these marriage goals. And what you discover is you may not ever attain those. But if you do, it's going to take longer than what most people said it was going to take. It may take five years or ten years or all your whole lifetime to get to what you thought was going to be easy to do. It's unrealistic expectations. And then we have this component called comparisons. <clears throat> Today's culture, they take the dinky percentage. of people that basically um, are wealthy and successful at a very young age, and they blast them all over every printed page and social media. And so much so that, like, oh, look, this is what it looks like to be young and beautiful and rich and thin and on and on and on. And you're just like, wow. And we get to thinking that that must be the norm out there in some other world. And I walk around thinking, so like it's like somebody else got the invitation, and everybody else got the, they earned on the secret, and I just kind of missed it. Like you walk around sometimes, you look at these groups of people, like, so um, what do you know that I don't know? Because you people all seem to have it all going, and you're like, cool, like whatever. In response. What we often do, we look at that 0.01% and we try to curate our lives and present ourselves in a way that's sometimes not real of us. It's, It's not based on reality. We put it in social media, right? It's true. So we give the highlights of our lives plus some. Here's my vacation to someplace wonderful, but it's actually my backyard, but I made it look just right so it looks like tropical and cool. You know, here's me at the gym, and obviously I spend ten hours a day here. Look at my eight-pack and it's photoshopped, you know, or or just look at this angle, or this is me and my amazing boyfriend out on date night. Aren't we cute? And right? I mean that's kind of what we do to compete with this feeling of we're not enough or not the same, or we're just kind of less than. And what we don't, what we don't show is the reality of where life is actually lived. This is me on my, in, in my pinto on my way to work. This is my cubicle or this is my workspace. And yes, it's a mess. This is the job I hate. And that's the boss who smells really bad at BO. This is my reality, right? This is my husband. We don't like each other, but we're picturing you know, for face. This is what I really look like in the morning. Ah, you know, but you put all that together. You put all these competing things, and it robs us blind of our joy because comparison is the great thief of joy. It's all about look at him or look at her, look at their talent, look at what thing they have that you don't have, and then there's insecurity on top of that. Oh, man, I don't know about my body. I'm not so fond of the way things are looking these days. These really weren't skinny jeans when I left, when I bought them at the store. But now they could be spandex, exercise pants. I'm ready for my ballet class, man. Just, I mean, things are changing. I sit down, and I just keep sitting down. It's like rolls come. I've been sick for a while, haven't been to the gym, and I'm like literally nothing's quite the same, so I have to kind of do like that. I know why guys do this all the time, you know? Let's cover that part down below, you know? And, I mean, insecurities. It's like they're everywhere. We all have them. And then there's disappointments. Where something didn't work out the way it was supposed to, you know what, but you know, everybody else's relationships look so cool and they're so happy together and I'm not, and that thing didn't work, my education wasn't really all that good. I don't really feel that I'm all that prepared, and my job isn't my story is not good enough, I'm not good enough. And instead of feeling gratitude, thank you, God, for the joy of living this life in my shoes, in my story. You feel resentful, feel cheated entitled. Come on, God. I deserve better. I mean, after all, I went to church, put a five spot in. Come on. now we that worth something? Maybe even, you know, sadness because somebody else has something that we always wanted. And now all of us are affected by it. I don't care if you're 19 and on Instagram all day long or 90 and you've never even heard of Instagram. We all struggle with our identity sometimes and feeling like, who am I? What does my life really mean? And what is it really all about and even if you're the best at something today believe me there's some young buck that's just waiting to knock you off the peak off the top of that hill and they're going to be better because it's never enough just like there's never enough money there's never there's never enough success but not with john so obviously this guy had something going in his story that maybe has tr- it, it's translated differently for him than when he sees the world he's got a filter that he's looking at things through that could actually transform some of the ways that we view ourselves and our story. So let's kind of break it down a little bit, because what I discover is he's able to celebrate Jesus' surge in popularity. He's able to handle this guy who's taken away all of his crowd. And I see three reasons. There's probably a lot more, but here's three things he knew. First of all, he knew his identity. He knew who he was. He knew his calling, and he knew his limitations. Quickly, let's go through these. First, he knew his identity. John knew who he was. I'm the voice in the wilderness. I'm just the voice. I'm not the Messiah. Are you the Messiah? No. Certainly not. Elijah? Nope. The prophet? Nope. Sorry. Just me. Just John. Just the voice. I'm just the pavement crew. I'm just making it flat. Just getting rid of the obstacles so when he comes, man, people are ready to receive. I'm just tuning up their hearts so they can hear the instrument of God's grace. That's what I do. He knew who he was wasn't trying to be Messiah, wasn't trying to be Elijah, wasn't trying to be all these things. Because he knew who he was, he knew who he wasn't. John knew himself, and he was comfortable with himself. And the prophecy of Isaiah 40, it it was spoke of one individual, and John said, that's me. I mean, it's not the prominent role in Scripture. It's certainly one of the finer points that's kind of lost between other things, but that's me. That's the guy. I'm just the voice of one saying, hey, he's coming Get your hearts ready. And this is him. He said he knew his inner Johnness. And I'm just curious, how many of you know who you are and are comfortable with you? And, and I'm saying that there's, it comes from somewhere, right? Obviously, his identity was anchored in Scripture. It was anchored in what he saw God saying about him. It was anchored in who he understood his creator to be and who his creator made him to be. That's the beginning place of wisdom, the fear of God, the understanding of who he is and who I am in relationship. And it looks different for different people, right? Because too often we don't know ourselves and we end up spinning our wheels trying to be something we're not. Maybe you're an introvert and you're trying so hard to be the extrovert that's the life of the party and you're going like, hey everybody, you know, and then you go home and you're exhausted and you're weary and just like, oh man, I just just put that on for, for a show because it's not me. Or maybe... You hate sports, but in your cubicle or in your workplace, it's like everybody's talking sports. You're like, hey guys, you see the game this weekend? Oh, isn't that great? And you're like, you hate it, but you have to feel like, oh man, I gotta have some identity with these people. Maybe you're a woman who feels the pressure to be looking your best 24-7 with all the makeup on, everything in place, and you really feel like you'd rather be in jeans, cowboy boots, and a ponytail. And you're like, you know, who am I? And I love watching... That age, from you know fifth grade to you know sixty, when everybody goes through who I am training, and I'm emo this week, and next week I'm the cool rocker guy, and next week you know I'm a cowboy, and then you know they try all these identities on, trying to find the one they are, and that's great. I'm I'm for it. I've tried lots of different things. I'm still trying to figure it all out. But here's the deal: there's a sense of who you are that must be you, and you just kind of kind of step into it and say, hey, yeah, you know what? I'm not you. I'm not you. But I sense from God, this is who he made me. And that's pretending, it's it's just no place. There's an ancient parable about a legendary rabbi, Zusa. And when he was an old man, he said, In the age to come, they will not ask me, Why were you not Moses? They will ask me, Why were you not Zusa? Just bring that in the present day. When I stand before God, they're not going to say, He's not going to say, Dave, why weren't you... Billy Graham. He preached better. He had bigger crowds and he said less. He talked less and he said more. Why weren't you that? Why weren't you Rick Warren? Why weren't you, and he, why weren't you somebody? He's, he's just going to look at me and say, Dave, um, why weren't you more Dave? Why did you try to be these other people? Why did you try to put on for all those years... These other hats and try on these other outfits that just didn't fit. Why weren't you just allowing yourself to embrace who I made you? Your quirky, weird, bizarre, sometimes obnoxious person you. Why weren't you more the unique human being I created you to be? And the fact is, all of us waste a lot of emotional energy and a lot of mental stress trying to figure out what other people want us to be and be that. And John said, not there. He knew his calling because he was, knew his identity, he knew his calling, his job was from God, it was right there. I'm the voice, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the pavement crew, that's who I am. Each of us has our own gifts and abilities, our own calling, um, the things that we're uniquely shaped for. And if you're pursuing, just discovering your calling more, then you just kind of have to look, do a little self-inventory. What are the things that you do that you just feel alive and the things that bring jo- joy and delight and, and maybe bring good to those around you that just seem to bring some Better. What are the things you do that just drain the life out of you, that frustrate people around you, and they say, please, this is not your gift? And frankly, folks, there's a lot of us, we just are trying to be what we're not. Each of us has gifts, abilities, passions, things we're uniquely shaped for, and if you aren't being you, then nobody is. And the world is missing out and the church is missing out. Paul said every one of us has been given gifts to bring about the glory of God and the harmony of the body. If you're not being you, then some part of our body is missing. That's why we're not digesting stuff so well. That's why we're not doing things that we need to be doing so well because some parts are missing. Your calling isn't something, I've discovered this. Your calling isn't something you decide, it's more something you discover. It's like a package you unwrap, it's like something you unearth, it's like God already rewired, he already wired you a certain way with certain abilities, and when you step into that, you find your joy. You find more of yourself. Not everything's perfect, not everything's flawless, not everything's free of problem or pain, that's just life. But what do you do that just seems to flow out of who you are? What do you do? And that means taking time a little self-discovery. It's also getting involved in a community where people can shape and look into you. When I was younger, I thought going into college, you know, I'd seen the mess the church could become, and I thought, I just want to go out and make money. I just want to be rich. So I studied real estate, started learning all these things, taking all those classes, you know, rich in real estate and all those kind of things, no money down kind of stuff. And, And I was so grateful that I had some people that loved me in my life and kind of said, Dave, don't you kind of have a sense that God wants to use you in another way. People just flat out said, I think, Dave, you're ignoring the calling on your life, and you seem to have been... You've said and you've shown in your own giftings that you feel kind of... You look shaped to serve the church. You look shaped to prepare this generation for the coming of God. You you look like you should be in the ministry. And it was helpful for me to hear from other people. Now to that, um, sometimes... God uses people around us to help us see who we are and mirror back to us what we're not. Finally, he understood his limitations, and this is where we're going to camp the rest of the time for the next hour. Just kidding. He understood his limitations. Verse 27 A person can receive only what he receives from heaven, a person can receive only what God gives them. God's in charge. God puts you in your family, God puts you in this community, God puts you here sorry wasn't your boss wasn't your wife wasn't your kids god has done some amazing things because he has prepared for you to do something special in this place in this time in your sliver of this life and it may be that you sure you may be the one who's going to be the president or the millionaire and all that but tr- truthfully our culture is telling us a lie we're not capable of doing everything but we are capable of doing what we're shaped to do a hammer is not gonna be a great saw, it's just not. And a saw doesn't make a great hammer, but when you are doing your thing out of who you're made and shaped to be, wow, you can build the most beautiful stuff. One time, um, I'm just, and it's a learning process. All you can do is what you're shaped for. And I was trying to be, it was a young, you know, after I got done with the financial part, I decided, well, you know what, if I'm going to be a pastor, at least I'm going to be a tough one. So I went in, I was doing martial arts. I was doing different forms of martial arts. And I was loving it, and I was getting pretty good at it. And I had my cardboard guy that, you know, was like a seven-foot guy that I put in. And I, I stuck him on the wall, and he stuck out. And I'd do 100, you know, kicks with my right leg to his head every day. It's this high, and 100 kicks with my left leg. And, and I was doing the, you know, having, loving doing the competing and this kind of thing. But the problem was, every time I hit somebody, I broke something. I'm not kidding. I broke all my toes, broke both hands, and this was just with regular sparring. I mean, I literally had my jaw dislocated, and I realized I'm a pansy. I'm not made for this. I mean, I want, don't get me wrong, I like hitting people, just in that context, but I'm not made for it. I have the wimpiest bone. I could break my own wrist if I squeezed hard enough. I literally am not made to be a tough guy. So. Sometimes you have to discover that I have limitations. And my life is limited. And those limitations were not meant to be a hurtful thing. They're meant to be a discovering, clarifying thing. It's to clarify who you aren't so you can discover who you are. I wasn't meant to hurt people. I was meant to heal people. Very different skill set. One's more fun sometimes. God put limitations on all of us because we never meant for us to do everything. We need to see both our capacity and our limitations as God's calling on our lives. Both all the things we're good at and the things that we are not good at as ways that God is shaping and directing us to who we are. So while your gifts and your capacity are signs that God made you do something, your limitations are also a sign of things that God has not designed for you. What are you bad at? What do people around you say? Not so much. I mean, all of my kids are amazing singers, and I talk because I'm not. If I could sing, I'd be doing something else, but this, I'm, that's not my gift. So here's some limitations that the author gives us in his book. Your personality. Believe it or not, you're limited by your personality. Some of you are extroverts, some of you are introverts, some of you are not-verts. I don't know what you are, but not everybody's the same. You just have to be you, but your personality is what it is. To be honest, I've discovered that I'm not a good manager, I don't like doing things the same every day. I don't like all you know, systems and pr- programs, and, and I don't like planning and all that. Honestly, I, I was meant to be like a free-form kind of artist. I just like doing things different every day. And so I don't thrive in meetings. I hate meetings. I have a lot of them. I'm really good for the first 20 minutes, and then I'm like, you know, <laughs> get me out of here. I'm, and I'm not tough enough to be a CEO because I don't like... I don't like firing people. I don't like being mean to people. I'm not shaped in that way. Your personality is a limitation, and it's a good thing because it helps you to know, I'm I'm just not designed for that. So if I'm going to try and be that, have you ever been raised above your level of competency or put in a position that you didn't fit and it just hurts everybody? Not good. Your personality, your season in life. Man, if if you're caring for an elderly parent, if you're facing an illness, if you're going through that season where you, you just come under your limitations by the season of life you're in, There's also your life situation. Some of you are single, there are limitations on what you can and cannot do. Some of you are married, there's even more limitations on what you can and cannot do. I was listening to a speaker this week who said, well, if you're married, cut your free time in half. And for every child beyond that, cut it in half again. I have 15 minutes this month of free time. (laughs) And I'm gonna use it just for me. That's not bad actually it's, it's just the reality we do make we make decisions every yes means a dozen no's your physical and emotional capacity is also a limit how much you can stand physically and emotionally and remain healthy is true of you some of you have an enormous plate my wife Lori, she can manage she in her job she's a manager a, a supervisor in, in la county and she has the plate this big and she's managing a thousand details and all these people and she's so good at it and I look at that and like it freaks me out I'm just like no thank you some of you have like a teacup size of you know what you can manage and be happy and healthy and and I know some of you it's like hey can you no no you know it's like I was just gonna say can you pass the salt you know but (laughs) all right, you know stressing you out you don't want responsibility in life I get it you know whatever (laughs) But here's the deal. We all must receive. Here's the takeaway. Our encouragement, our challenge, we must receive the gift of limits. we got to go ahead and accept our losses that not everything in life is going to be mine. Not everything I want to do can be done by me. Not everything I want to have will be had by me. Not every experience, not every fulfillment, not every dream will come true. I must receive the gift of limits. Most of us don't receive our limits, and we fight them, we deny them, we push against them, and it seems like we resent the God who gave us them. And we don't think of them as a gift. Pete Cesaro said this, in emotionally healthy churches, people understand the limits God has given them. They joyfully receive the one, two, seven, or ten talents God has so graciously distributed. As a result, they're not frenzied or covetous trying to Live a life God never intended. They're marked by contentment and joy. Emotionally healthy churches. That's why we call it the healthy me. I can't say that. Emotionally healthy churches also embrace their limits with the same joy and contentment, not attempting to be another church. They have a confident sense that God's good hand is on their church for such a time as this. So, maturity is when somebody is living within their God-given limits. So this is beautiful. How do we get there? One, figure out what to say yes to. There are some yeses, and every yes means 100 no's. You have to realize you have only so much time, only so much energy, only so much focus, and only so much emotional life to give away. Don't give it without thought. That's why before you say your next yes, commitment to something, think carefully. Is this moving me in the direction of emotional and spiritual health and vitality? Is this unleashing the thing God has put in me to give back to the world? Is this bringing life? If not, second part, learn the art of saying no. It's a hard word for some of us, especially Enneagram number twos. Uh, our personality is helper. We just, yes, it can do, that. yeah, sure. And I'm telling you folks, God has put a limit on me this year, it's my physical health. My liver is, you know, I had this illness that took me out for several months, and it's slow, 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 slow to heal. And I think that's, I can't go to the gym and do my sit-ups, can't do crunches and all that stuff. And I'm just like, man, I'm just limited. But it's also taught me how to say no. I don't like it, but it's helping me. And it's setting me free. Folks, I feel more free right now than I have in probably 35 years of ministry. Because God is teaching me how to say I'd love to, but no. I, you know what? That would be, sounds great, but I can't. I appreciate the offer. I know that you need somebody. I know that you want this time. I know that you need that something right now, but um, I, I can't, no, no. And the temptation to say, yes, yes, I can help. Yes, are you the Messiah? Oh, uh, sure, I'll try to be. Are you the prophet? Um, what does he have to do? What? No, no, no. I'm just me. And this is what I can do. And even Jesus chose to limit himself. As we wrap up today, while on earth, Jesus literally said, he took off his omniscience, which is knowing everything, he asked questions. He took off his omnipresence. He couldn't be everywhere at once, so he had to be here when John was over there. He had to be here when Judas was over there. He limited himself. He had to take off his omnipotence. He wasn't all-powerful. He didn't heal everybody. He didn't cleanse every problem. He didn't restore every leper. He didn't You know, chase down every lost son. He did what he did like a human to show us what it looked like to step into our full humanity and be who God made us. So let me wrap up with these questions. Who are you? How can you live more into the person God made you to be? Second, what are you called to do? What are you made for? What are you not made for that shapes who you are and what contribution you make? And finally, what are your limitations? Are you living outside of them and are you bringing joy into the world or something else let's pray god as we close so much here that we can't possibly get to in a one kind of one-off sermon or a series like this we we just need you to guide us through the self-discovery as we leave here we want to live lives full of joy We want to live lives that are full and meaningful we want to live lives that make contributions But a lot of us, we don't want to be John that accepts our limitations, say, no, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. The only thing I am is this, and I'm going to do this the best I know how. And our culture has lied to us. So I pray, Lord God, that as we examine ourselves today, you would help us to see who we truly are, to know our identity, to know our calling, to accept with joyful grace our limitations. A man can only receive what is given him from heaven. God, let us learn that. For the people in this room today, they're under some weight of disillusionment, some weight of depression, discouragement, because life is not shaping up as they desired. And God, I pray that you would just invade their space and speak that sweet whisper of your love and compassion to them that you did not make a mistake, and they are who you meant them to be, and they just need to step into the fullness of that. Following Jesus. Becoming free. We pray this, Lord God, that we would find that, become that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, one more week, and we'll be finished with this. So stand, let's worship together. Don't forget to take uh, some of those cards home, invite people to Easter. Let's worship.
0: A hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the earthly. I raise a hallelujah. My way. Indeed.